Mayo, did you get your Taylor Swift tickets? <laughs> I saw that they were available in the UK this week. They are, yeah. I, I'm not that much of a fan. Of that you didn't want to go through the the bloodbath, fighting yeah, all the exactly. other Swifties. I like the music. I, I, I'm not such a fan that I go to the concerts. You know. Do you go to concerts for like other people? Uh, not really. <laughs> What you could do is do the thing where, like, the, the people who don't get tickets just sit outside the venue and listen. Just sit there by yourself, listen to the music, then go home. Beat the crowds. It's the ultimate Mayo experience, I feel like. I could just do it at home, though. That sounds even better. Watch it on your Vision Pro. Exactly, yeah. The Vision Pro you're going to buy me. I'm going to listen. I'm going to watch Taylor Swift concert. Well, remember, I'm buying it for you and then charging you, what do we say, $5,000? So. Mm, yeah, I forgot about that part. How big of a Taylor fan are you really? I mean, that's probably still cheaper than a Taylor Swift ticket. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> and you can watch it as many times as you want. Unless they make it rental only. <laughs> $500 each time. Well, because right now, in like the iTunes store... I mean, a store that is still like kind of waning, right, in popularity because yeah. you know, everything's streaming. But they still have the model where you can buy the standard definition, like film or the high def version. Really? Like, yeah, you can still you can get the you can get the you can get the lower quality one for like a dollar less. See, I don't even, I don't know the last time I bought something through the iTunes. Yeah, store. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't actually bought anything there for ages. But like, it's that outdated that it still has like that two tier system for HD quality. And if and if it has 4K, then that's in the that's in the HD tier for no extra charge. But like, right. you can still buy the cheaper version. It's like mental. And so, what they're going to do like next year? They're going to start selling 3D versions. Like, I mean, they got to an additional cost or a different tier, or is it just going to be rolled in? Who knows what's going to happen? I just went to the music app to load the iTunes Store, but then realized it's in, or at least the video is in TV app. Is that right? Well, you can get to it in TV or on... They have dedicated iTunes Store apps still on the phone, remember? Oh, that's right, but not on the Mac. Yeah. But not on the Mac, yeah. It's a very it's a very stupid system. And then on the phone, you have, um, you know, like, it confusingly integrated with the TV app in ways that make the subscription side of it worse. I don't know. It's a, it's a huge big mess. But uh, it feels like at some point they're going to kind of cut it off and just say, look, we're, nobody's buying this stuff anymore. Yeah. But I think right now, uh, because TV Plus is still quite small, like the revenue they get from the iTunes store is like equal to what they get from TV Plus. So it's probably too big relatively to the other business for them to just like kill it off. Some of the revenue yeah. is probably people searching for things like on their Apple TV and just clicking it and thinking it's on a mm-hmm. streaming service, but actually they're paying $4 or yeah, whatever. That's the other thing, yeah. right? You have the universal search, but it like prioritizes the iTunes store first mm-hmm. over your own apps. It feels pretty bad. It's a whole big mess. But yeah, I just checked out the Mission Impossible Collection, also available in standard definition, and you get it slightly cheaper. Well, pretty mental. It's a bargain. Anyway, 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 <laughs> iOS 17, iPadOS 17, macOS Sonoma, watchOS 10, and tvOS 17 public betas are now available. So I guess these are the same as the beta three developer build, which I mean, so far for me in terms of stability, iOS 17's been okay but surprisingly not great battery life is pretty bad on a 14 pro max granted battery life's always kind of been bad on the 14 series but the most annoying thing is the keyboard it just disappears Mm -hmm. all the time pretty much in every application but especially in spotlight and messages 
whereas which is when like you want it to work quickly most often and there's not an easy way of making it come back either no yeah <laughs> usually tell. you have to just force quit the app yeah or the keyboard will come up but the text field won't so then that's what i see a lot yeah like the the keyboard appears but the app hasn't been like notified to like move the text yeah. out of the way so you're typing yeah. and you have no idea what you're typing and there's no way to actually send the search or the message or whatever and the reason the reason the keyboard's so wonky this year is that they've made it even more secure because it's now fully out of process whereas last uh, year on like previous generations the keyboard would live um like the the touch interactions would be out of process but like the rendering the ui would still be in the same process as the app okay. but now it's like a fully system thing which is external and so you can even force quit an app and sometimes it won't even reset the keyboard because it's like a separate component uh, so it's a, and basically if it glitches in one app you can then switch to the next app and it'll also be glitched out there <laughs> in terms of like not showing so uh the the out of process architecture is good for security but in terms of like performance if it if it does break then it kind of breaks even more just drastically yeah. than it did before um obviously the goal is that they'll fix all the bugs and then it won't crash or whatever and so then it'll just always be visible um but yeah right now in the beta season you definitely see you definitely see the the rough edges of that system but the other big change to the keyboard is something you have fallen in love with which is the autocorrect mm-hmm. are you still yeah, autocorrect's good are you still yeah. as high on it as you were last week oh yeah i think it's great i even did a um um, mayo blog like personal blog post about oh, i saw it. that yeah and, yeah and when i did that i was like this is going to be the real test because people are going to respond to this being like i agree or i think you're stupid and it's still bad right um because it was just like an opening for it was like an opening mm-hmm. for people to comment on it and you know thoughts on things like autocorrect are pretty binary like people are either up on it or they're down on it and so when i posted this i was like okay well i'm putting my my fair on the line saying it's good <laughs> we'll see what happens and it actually got I'd say almost universal agreement. So people seem to think it's interesting. Yeah. See, I think autocorrect is better, but I think I said last week that the swipe is worse. And I, I was in New Orleans over the weekend, so I was constantly Googling like best X, Y, and Z in New Orleans. Every time I would swipe new and then swi- try to swipe New Orleans, it would do Orlando. Like it never wow. picked up on that. So I was always searching for best restaurants in New Orlando, which I don't even think New Orlando is a thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this, like, I don't really use the swipe that often, so I, d- I don't feel that as much. Um, but general typing in autocorrect system seems does seem better. I, I would agree with you on the battery life thing, though. Like, yeah. I'm running it on 14 Pro, and it's got better since beta 1, but it still feels worse than release 16, which, like you said, release 16... The battery life wasn't great on the 14 series. No. And iOS 17 beta exacerbates that uh, a fair bit. The other annoying bug I've seen on the other platform is on TVS, actually, because I'm running the beta on uh, iPhone and TV and watch because I I haven't upgraded my Mac and I don't have an iPad to try on there. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the TV, uh, there's an issue where, the you know, they've got this new control center thing in the top right corner. Yeah. And it and it shows as like by default if you're on the home screen it just shows your like profile picture and the time and then if you like go up to it it like expands and shows you the different options. Well, when you go into an application, it's meant to disappear, right? Like just go out of the way. But sometimes it doesn't fully go away. Like it does the shrink animation, but it doesn't fully disappear. Mm, like it still mm. has some amount of width, like a couple of pixels wide. And so do you know what a little like white box looks like in the top right corner? It looks like my <laughs> OLED 
TV's got like a dead pixel yeah. in it. I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Uh, so then I got really close to the screen the first time this happened, and I was like, that doesn't look like one pixel. That looks like a group of like 20 or whatever. So then I forced quit the Apple TV and it went away. I wish I could have uh, seen that. You hopping up off the couch, like scared out of your mind, yeah. getting as close as possible to the screen. Well, because I bought this really expensive yeah. TV like eight months ago. And I was like, oh my dear. <laughs> I, I was like watching this show and it was um, letterbox because obviously it was like, you know, 16.9 or whatever. Yeah. So like the, the black bar was top and bottom and the top right corner, there's just this white blob. <laughs> I'm like, oh dear, oh dear. Got right up to the screen. I was like, yeah, I think I, I, my heart was palping for a second, but it was like, oh, I think I know what this is, this control center. Ugh. So then I, yeah, I like force quit the app and it went away. Um, I either force quit the app or I had to reset the Apple TV, I can't remember which. Uh, but anyway, it fixed itself and I was like, okay, whatever. That was about two weeks ago yeah literally this weekend it happened again so at oh. least this time i wasn't like oh you know my tv's broken <laughs> but it is annoying uh that it keeps coming up and this is beta 3 now and it hasn't gone away and i looked at the tv apple tv subreddit uh, and a lot of people are complaining about getting it there mm, too so mm-hmm. hope- hopefully that's something they can fix before this thing actually ships because it is really annoying are you finding control center actually useful because i'm running tvos 17 too and i i don't think i've ever ever really used it beyond just checking it out the first time yeah, I, it it's better than it, how it was before. Because before Control Center, basically all the features were still there. They were just hidden behind the long press of mm-hmm. the TV button. Whereas at least now you get some visual indicator. But what I think is kind of miss is on the home screen it shows the time and your profile picture in the top right corner, but you can't navigate to it with like a swipe gesture. You still have to hold down the TV button to actually activate uh, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of discoverability, it isn't that much better because. If you could, if you could, like, just navigate and swipe up there and focus on it and click, then you know a normal person would be like, oh, okay, well, you know, I can actually go up here and do something with it. But you still have to know to hold the button down for it to pop up. Um, the functionality inside it is slightly better. There's a couple of new features, like you can do a sleep timer now, so like you can have it automatically turn off after like an hour or something, which is kind of cool. Um, but I think the biggest win is that if you are in a multi-user household, it now shows your profile picture in the top right as like a reminder of this is the, the account that's logged in. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody else sits down, they can remember to change it. But it does feel a bit silly that now it has a physical UI element visually, but you still can't select it with the remote. So more more work to do there, I'd say. But it's, it's an improvement over how it was, uh, but it's not like a massive game changer. I like that it shows you the time now, though, to be yeah. on the home screen. Because... Um, that was just completely missing yeah. before. So you're not running Sonoma, are you? No, no. So I generally don't run the Mac betas just because, like, day to day work, I yeah keep it stable. And I only have one Mac really that I use, so I don't want to like make it go crazy. <laughs> but I, I, I haven't heard too many horror stories about Sonoma. No, it's pretty good. I have it on my MacBook Air, and the two things that have stood out so far really are. The ability to save like a web app to your dock, which has been useful now that TweetDeck is all messed up and all of that. You can save the, at least the web web version of TweetDeck right to your dock, so it's kind of like an app. And then like I also have an icon saved for like our WordPress CMS, so I just click that and it opens right up in Safari, which is nice. That's quite handy, yeah. And then also profiles in Safari are really nice. So if you have to balance like multiple Google accounts or YouTube accounts or whatever, you can just click the profile button and switch to whichever one you need. But I mean, macOS cool. Sonoma, like the sta- the stability has been really good. I haven't really noticed anything. I have it on my MacBook Air right now, and I'd love to put it on my Mac Studio 
but I use Audio Hijack to record like this show, and I Audio Hijack or Rogue Amoeba doesn't let you run their apps on the beta. It's just flat out blocked. So as soon as they remove that that block, I might just go ahead and move the Mac Studio too, but but not not yet. And WatchOS has that treating you. WatchOS is fantastic. The widgets on the from the watch face are so good. It's let me use different watch faces that I wouldn't have previously used just because there's other ways to quickly access that that information. Then also the the new app designs for things like activity and weather, where it's truly like full screen, there's buttons in the corners. Those are just so good, especially on on the Ultra. I can imagine yeah, it'd be pretty bad on your Series 4, but on the Ultra, they're yeah, great. I'm not as high on the WatchOS 10 supply, unfortunately. it's The the UI layout's not great. A lot of space is taken up when you have a... And I have the smallest Apple, Apple Watch Series 4, right? Because I have the yeah. small, the small mm-hmm. wrist size one. Uh, so that's kind of rough. And the performance is pretty bad. Like, you know, they have all those new, like, blur effects and stuff when you change page and things. I sw- it causes the thing to, like, chug. It's like... It waits for like a whole second before like navigating screens and stuff. It's it's pretty bad, so yeah, not not super uh, positive <laughs> on that for me. Uh, the battery life's good on the watch, so I guess that's a bonus. But mine's mine's gone down from like two days. But yeah, I'm not really a fan of what they've done there. Um, I think if I had a bigger watch, it probably would be more acceptable. But even like even ignoring the size i feel like some of the app redesigns are less clear now about what you're meant to do like yeah. the weather one it's before it was just like you know straight vertical top to bottom now it is vertical top to bottom but it's like page and like the 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 temperature kind of like animates to the middle in a weird way then you go on the next screen it's like a completely different animation like it feels a bit more um like they're showing off that they can do all these like visual effects, but like is it actually just more like a gimmick that you're just going to get annoyed by over time? Whereas the old system, it was like everything was just like lists, and you could just scroll top to bottom with the crown, and you know know where you were going, and everything was more, I'd say like formulaic in terms of its layout, which felt mm. a bit more like controlled. Whereas now it's like every app does something a bit different, so I'm not sure I like it too much, but you get used to it. What do you think about the change to how you get to Control Center? Well, so now it's the button rather than swiping up. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind that. I think a lot of people use Control Center on the watch, so give it a button. Um, Just takes a second to get used to it. Is the thing. Yeah, I mean, I I, I constantly keep swiping up and going to the widget screen, and I want Control Center, but mm-hmm. you you get used to it. You, you change around, and the dock the dock situation was never a good no. UI okay. in my opinion. So getting rid of that in favor of Control Center is a much better choice. What about jumping back to iOS seventeen? Have you used Standby yet? I did like when it first, when the beta first came out, just to see it, but I don't like have a vertical dock really, so I haven't used it like full time. I've been using it quite a bit on my nightstand, and it's really nice, especially like in the first few beta, first two betas, I think the the feature where it's supposed to remember which standby configuration you prefer based on the MagSafe charger that you're using, that didn't seem to work, but now that it does. It's really nice just dropping my iPhone on the MagSafe stand and it goes right to a design that just shows the time, the temperature, and my next alarm. Then like when you turn the lights off, it goes into like a dim red text so you can see it easily. It's really nice. It's, I mean, if we said this a m- million times recently, but it's screaming to come to the iPad. And a dedicated device well, yeah. probably at some point. Yeah. 
in some form. Don't get greedy. Yeah. Don't get greedy. <laughs> uh, the interactive widgets on iOS 17 are pretty nice. Um, I've got a music widget. Yeah. It's nice to be able to like, pick a playlist directly from there and play and pause. HomeKit widgets are updates. good. Yeah, and it updates with like the, the, you know, the album art mm-hmm. and stuff. And even the non-interactive widgets are better this year so like the weather widget like previously i just had like the the square weather widget on my home mm-hmm. screen full time instead of the weather icon so you get like the temperature and the current conditions and now when that updates um it does it with animation whereas before it would just like statically switch to oh, whenever the new temperature was that. but yeah so even though it's not because this is using like the interactive architecture because you know like you mm-hmm. press a button and it can like fade to the new state or like when you're doing a reminder it like it like wipes upwards right the things move around but the the static the non-interactive widgets do that too so like the weather widget the temperature would like count up with the number animation and the background like smoothly faded to the new state so they've made it feel a lot nicer even if it's not a interactive widget so yeah i'm, I'm happy with that what about live voicemail have you tried that can't do can't oh that's right it's us only yeah. yeah i mean we speak english but yeah not live voicemail compatible for some reason it's nice it's re- i think it confuses people when they call you and it does it says like explain why you're calling and this person might pick up i think it it kind of maybe offends some people because they say well i'm going to explain why i'm calling and if they don't pick up that means they don't care <laughs> but i know that's why some people have turned it off like zach has it turned off just because it confuses people but i think even I mean, with the public beta now available it's just going to become more common and people will will understand how it works and it's not yeah, the same know what it yeah. means when they hear that and they might they might change the message slightly in, in response because i've seen other people say that the message is a bit confusing yeah i saw somebody else say that like they had people who would like explain why they're calling and then just stay on the line expecting <laughs> the person to answer you know more as yeah. like a like a call waiting system rather than like a voicemail system um so yeah I, this it, is a like a community social thing that will, will resolve itself in time one way or the other it, it, it especially confuses like the spam auto calling bots who interpret it <laughs> as like you picking up the phone and then they have no idea who they're talking to or what's happening that's fun to watch they freak out that's funny but yeah public betas they're here and i think they're pretty good if you're on the fence especially on iphone i think it's it's worth a go yeah, just be aware your battery might suffer a bit. Yeah, it's already terrible, so and, who cares? And we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and all of these OSs, if you don't want to jump on the public betas, will come out September, October time for everybody to install. So mm-hmm. even if you want to wait it out, you've only got another like month and a half before these things are like done. And a lot of the features they have promised aren't coming until 71.1 or whatever anyway. So yeah. uh, if you want like the journaling app, for instance, that's coming before the end of the year, but it's not in public betas right now. What else is there? I know there's collaborative playlists and Apple Music and... Yes, something else I'm forgetting. Oh, and the <laughs> airdrop feature where it continues the transfer continues. over the yes. internet. Yeah, that's not there yet. But the other airdrop things are, and they're pretty good. Yeah, and the animation is slick. Yes. Like you just hold the phones and it like sucks it up. It's a really nice animation. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm positive on them. Yeah. Apple's normally pretty good about releasing public betas when they are about this stage. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not perfect, but they are generally acceptable for public consumption and i'm just hoping that we have a few more surprises in the developer betas as they roll out in the next few weeks Uh, because as we said before the first three were pretty boring in terms of changes so maybe there'll be a bit more a few more surprises to see i mean they still haven't they still haven't even released (laughs) 16.6 that hit a release candidate this week so that'll be next week still not actually available yeah 
I don't think we know any changes. Even the Apple's release notes just say security fixes and bug improvements or whatever. Yep. Very weird. Very weird. Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by Downey. Have you ever watched a video on the web on your Mac and been like, I want to download that for later, only to find the website goes out of its way to make that very thing impossible? Well, Downey is the app that fixes that. Downey lets you easily save videos from YouTube and over a thousand other websites in just one click. Unlike many other YouTube downloaders, Downey supports HD video downloads up to 4K resolution, and you have post-processing options that let you easily convert the video to your desired format. And if you just want the audio track, Downey can handle this too, automatically, and strip just the audio out of the video file. Downey offers a dedicated app for macOS that you can use to manage all of your downloads, and for even easy access, it also offers a browser extension that sends links right from Safari to the Downey app to automatically start the downloading process. And Downey has top-notch support. If you ever have a support questions, you can contact the developer directly within the app and he will personally attend to all of your problems. Save videos from anywhere with Downey. Downey is one of the first apps that thousands of Mac users install when setting up a new machine. Hit the link in the show notes to get started with Downey with a full-featured free trial. Downey is also available via SetApp. Just search for Downey. That's spelled D-O-W-N-I-E. So hit up the link in the show notes or get it through your setup subscription. Our thanks to Downey for supporting 9to5Mac Happy Hour. All right, so we have a couple of interesting CarPlay stories that have come out over the past couple of weeks. So the first one is Porsche. So they issued like a press release thing that was like a revamped all-new CarPlay experience for, for Porsche drivers. So my mind immediately jumped to, Oh wow, they're like next generation full sport next gen CarPlay, which is what Apple announced last year at WWDC. But that's not what it really is. Basically what they've done is they have a My Porsche companion app for iPhone and they're bringing that app to CarPlay so you can control like your climate controls, your radio playback and ambient lighting, things like that using the My Porsche app on CarPlay. So it's kind of a workaround. I mean, it's cool to have those controls accessible via CarPlay, I guess, but less useful than it would have been if they just full-on did next-gen CarPlay. And naturally, it makes yeah, you... Yeah, thi- because like CarPlay has this thing, right, where you have like the manufacturer's app as one of the apps on, mm-hmm. on, on, the, on the app grid. And so they've taken that and just made it a lot more capable with climate controls and other things to actually control your vehicle, and you can customize the grid layout through the phone app or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, an, it's a nice improvement. Uh, some of these capabilities have been, you know, like if you go back to maybe like iOS 13, Apple was making the big deal of the fact that they were going to integrate um, car controls via voice via voice with Siri. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they added all of these new like Siri kit domains to control things like, you know, climate control and headlights and radio and everything else. And basically no manufacturer adopted them so they no. end up getting deprecated and i don't think they're actually even supported anymore which is a bit of a shame um but this but we have seen you know individual manufacturers go their own way with things like you know the my porsche app in this example to get you know the functionality most people are using i guess available in some form i mean it makes um, me worry so, though about next gen carplay if porsche was imminently planning to support next gen carplay and you'd think they wouldn't really do this feature. I don't know about that. Um, it, but the next gen car plays next gen. It's going to take a while. Like they might, but the my Porsche thing could be like 
in development before they even knew about this yeah. the next gen car play situation right like, and then they comes out and they support it and then maybe one vehicle like let's assume the good case right where next gen car plays on track that so the first cars are being announced in this year porsche has you know a, one vehicle now already coming out in 2025 or 2024 the rest of their cars in existence are still going to benefit from this application right like well. even if you take the optimistic path it's a long, it's a long rollout for a next gen CarPlay situation. So they still want to deliver features to their existing customers. The thing about this my Porsche update, though, is that it's only available on the 2024 Porsche Cayenne to start. Oh, and okay, that kind of ruins that argument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had noticed it, that. Before. Yeah, it, the, they say it's going to come to other cars, but they, but I mean, they're on Apple's list for next gen CarPlay. And they're somebody who Apple has kind of been friendly with in the past. Porsche has been a really big supporter of CarPlay, even offering head units and stuff for like their their older, like whatever you want to call them, like classic cars. Mm-hmm. So this seems like good news, but also bad news to me. I was a bit disconcerted when WWC came and went and they didn't mention next year yeah. once. That was a warning sign. Um, they did say though when they announced it at last year's WWC that it, the first cars would be announced at the end of 2023. So if you go by their schedule, I guess they're still on yeah. track, and we'll see some partnership announced at the end of the year. But obviously, there's been a lot of pushback from manufacturers about CarPlay in general, um, which does put some, you know, it dampens the waters a bit for a next gen CarPlay situation. And the the technical details about how this all works in next gen CarPlay are still very unclear. Like mm-hmm. you know, if if it's running the um, the gauges in front of the steering wheel and stuff like yeah. is that running is that still being uh transmitted from the phone as like a video feed or is it actually running on the computer itself there's regulatory stuff with all that yeah too. regulatory problems with real-time operating system requirements and you know a lot of these cars now have deals to be run on the android auto platform which probably won't support next gen car play so it's a big there's a a lot of question marks i'm sure apple will ship something somewhere eventually but it might only be on like one vehicle or something yeah. you know, to begin with. Like everything, but that's the case with everything with CarPlay. Oh, yeah. Everything takes Absolutely. way longer than it should. It takes forever. There's questions about it. But eventually the features come out. Like the the thing where CarPlay supports a second screen for like the directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That came out on my mum's car, uh, I think a year and a half ago. But that feature had been technically supporting the CarPlay system for like five years. Yeah. You know, it's just these things are so slow to roll out. But it's very gradual. Eventually, the improvements come to customers and people like it. So I guess that's what's going to happen with next-gen CarPlay 2. Like, even if they do announce vehicles then this year, it'll only be a couple. Then they won't come out till you know, another year on from mm-hmm. that. And then it'll be a very, you know, like a five-year time spent. Like, the Apple car will be announced before <laughs> the time that next-gen CarPlay is, like, prevalent among, you know, the population of cars. Then, so I've been waiting to talk to you about this. GM's decision to drop CarPlay starting with their EVs coming next year. When you and Zach talked about this story at the when they when it happened a couple months ago, hearing you like defend GM's decision as oh it's great business, it's great business, I was like yelling at my phone. So now <laughs> I get to just confront you directly and say that you are wrong and this will be a bad a bad it was great business, did I? I think that was your whole argument. My argument was if you are GM and maybe I misconstrued this originally, but my, my my position kind of is on this, is that if you are General Motors, 
you want to make cars that are differentiated and unique because you want to retain your customers. Right. right. So adopting CarPlay is not is not achieving that end goal. And if you're like, you know, basically partnering with someone who eventually is going to make a car that will, you know, beat yours out, I can kind of see why they're not too keen on the idea. I'm not saying it's like, you know, net positive for cut for end users because obviously a lot of end users do want carplay but if you are the the businessman in charge i can see where it comes from and it's like you know if they if they want to be a long-term car company you kind of have to go out on your own at some point just like tesla does right like, no no if no. You're, you're never gonna be you're, you're like you're never gonna be the best you can be if you're only ever like committed to the carplay interface especially with something like this the next gen carplay interface like you know, when when the Apple Car comes out, it's not just going to look like the CarPlay interface. It's going to be completely different and completely advanced, and you know, yeah, d- multi-dimensional in so many different ways. And so, if you're a different competitive car company like GM, I feel like you kind of have to have ambition to try that kind of stuff if you do want to survive in the long, long term. You know, like on a ten-year time scale. Otherwise, you just you end up like BlackBerry with the iPhone. You know, like you're just like the old guard. So that was kind of where I was coming from with that argument. I mean, does it does it benefit customers short term? Probably not. No. But like, if you're going for it, I feel like you kind of have to go for it, even at the you know the short term expense. I suppose. But the thing is, is is GM within the next ten years gonna be able to replicate anything close to what Apple offers with CarPlay? And if not, why do this now rather than just wait and spend more time developing it? Because the features they announced for the first version of their 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 in-car system it's like two or three things it's like connect your phone via bluetooth and play your music and also we might have an integrated spotify app but if you want (laughs) apple music just use bluetooth bluetooth's great bluetooth's not great but i mean it is what it is and i mean this this the reason we're talking about this now again is gm dealers there was a report in the detroit free press last week basically rounding up comments from dealers about what they think about this decision and they hear some quotes from the dealers are carplay is not broke why fix it the risk of failure is high nobody's had any communication from gm what am i supposed to tell my customers the new system just can't work it has to be the best and it's got to be better than carplay and there's an infinite number of ways this could go bad and these are dealers who's like livelihoods depend on selling gm cars so that i think they know better than anyone what sort of questions people are asking when about things like carplay when they're buying a new car you know yes but you could argue the dealers are you know more short-term orientated than the car company might be like your point about why don't they support carplay until they can replace it with something better i guess is fair like why do they have to drop it next year yeah um, I don't have a great response to that, but I can see the the more long term position that you can't be wedded to CarPlay yeah. or Android Auto to provide your interface forever because you'll just get left behind and you'll be you know always be second fiddle to like the cutting edge of the world. Um, in the same way that I don't think it's like ridiculous that Tesla doesn't support CarPlay because they have you know a competitive system that's fully featured and integrated with their own vehicle, right? Well, like, Tesla's hired some of the best software engineers in california gm is a legacy automaker in detroit they're not they're not known for their innovation and their software well should they just not try like i guess that was it i mean they can try but if you if you leave carplay in the car 
but also make your system as appealing as possible, then the customer will choose and say, hey, through GM's interface, I can do X, Y, and Z. You know, they have better EV charging routing, or they have a better mapping system with real-time charging availability, or something like that. Like, I can watch Netflix while I charge, but only using GM software interface. Then I think the customer would make that decision, and eventually people would stop using CarPlay. But I don't understand the logic behind just ripping CarPlay, ripping CarPlay from people's hands, and apparently like not communicating the change to anybody yet. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a risk. I, I like. I guess I I appreciate their bravado because I do yeah. think if you're looking mm-hmm. on a longer term time scale, they do have to not be wedded to a CarPlay interface to actually have a chance. Um, whether it's you know Tesla, Apple, or someone of that ilk, like the obvious future is like a fully integrated system, and CarPlay is like the short term fix. But I mean, I guess we'll find I, out. Like if they ship cars next year without CarPlay and people don't buy them, then they'll soon change their mind. You know, like that's 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 how companies work. But GM, while they're making this mistake and all of that, if you look at Ford, who has always supported CarPlay and whatever iOS in the car and all of that their ceo jim farley he he was he had a good explanation for why ford doesn't feel the need to kind of do what you're saying which is differentiate beyond carplay and he basically said how 70 percent of ford customers in the u.s are apple customers so why would ford do what gm is doing and go to those customers and just say good luck try this sorry and he even acknowledged that like apple does a good job so what he said is is Our philosophy is we're going to make the best Android CarPlay experience you can imagine, and we're going to put it on top of a really good customization opportunity for the customer so they can get what they want out of the interior experience. That is the best way of putting it that I've seen, and I think it's the exact opposite mindset of what GM and their CEO are using. Yep, that is true. Long term, I'd still say... You know, a fully integrated independent system is the best option because, you know, if you have your own customization layer on top of like a CarPlay interface or, you know, you have a Mm -hmm. layer and then you go into the CarPlay mode, it never feels as elegant or as integrated and and you can't like combine things in ways that you really really want. That's true. Everything's like CarPlay is like a window, right? It's literally a streaming video. So you can't put it in the rest of the system in the perfect ways that you like to. You see this on many cars, right? Where they have like you know chrome top and bottom which is their own ui and yeah they just have to have this black rectangle in the middle which is the carplay interface and it's like you know the carplay interface has a lot of features and it's nice and people want it but clearly an integrated operating system would you know that was actually fully implemented with you know good software engineering etc cetera, etc cetera, um would be superior to that it's getting these car these more classical car manufacturers to have the engineering teams to pull it off and do it well uh, that is that is the problem so I guess GM that's like that's I think that's the 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 mindset that GM's coming from like at least they have the mm-hmm. foresight for that but like you say maybe they should like support CarPlay in the interim while they build that out. Um but we I mean they and they're only doing it on their electric vehicles, right? Yes, which is even dumber. But because well in terms of short term next year they're launching I think seven next generation EVs which is based on their like ulterium platform i can't remember what it's called but and that's one of the things the dealers 
we're concerned about because next year's already going to be a much different year for GM car sales because they're going to be pushing that. They discontinued the Chevy Bolt, which was their most popular EV. So they have to sell customers on a completely new EV platform and architecture and say, sorry, no car play. From a salesperson perspective, experience is completely yeah. different to what you used to. I guess. Yeah, yeah. And from a salesperson perspective, like you can't disagree with them. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's done like that because they are going to have like you know integration with the EV charging routes and the battery charging and all you know all that kind of stuff that comes along with an EV vehicle that yeah. you kind of need in the software layer. Which is another and CarPlay does have its own version of that that some cars do support. One but car, not a lot, and it's yeah. you know. It's comp- and I don't know what the dealings with Apple behind the scenes are like yeah. to make that happen because mm-hmm. it, it's not like automatic and it's complicated and it relies on Apple, you know, maps in some places. And if you route your own charging system, you can't immediately be integrated into that UI. Yeah. So like, there's there is more complications to it. But I, I guess I do agree with you on the high level that yeah, it's kind of stupid. They're just going to cut it off completely next year. Um, but I guess I see their strategy or at least their idea. Uh, execution is a whole different whole different ball game. All I wanted to hear was you agree with me. <laughs> now we can move on. I'm happy. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Masterclass. So I generally cook the same kind of meals, you know, chicken, spaghetti. But I figured, why not try something different and try to get better at cooking for a change? So now I'm actually learning how to make pasta dough and make ravioli from scratch with instructions from renowned chef Alice Waters. I'm not 100% confident at it yet, but... The learning and sense of accomplishment is very satisfying. I'm, I'm getting there. And how exactly? Well, using Alice Waters' home cooking lessons on Masterclass. Check them out at masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. Masterclass have some amazing videos across all categories, and food is just one of them. Where else can you find, for instance, 30 lessons on filmmaking from Martin Scorsese? I was watching that actually on their Apple TV app, and you can hear Scorsese himself talk about the movie-making process and how he expanded his understanding over time. I love learning about all those details and it really makes me appreciate the art of film even more. And with Masterclass, you too can learn from the best to become your best. Anytime, anywhere and at your own pace. From just $10 a month, you can get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content and insights and much more. And I mentioned filmmaking, but there's so many topics to dive into. You have Disney CEO Bob Iger talking about business strategy, chefs like Alice Waters and Gordon Ramsay how to cook incredible food. There's so much variety and something for everyone. With over 180 classes to choose from, you can always be learning something new from top class instructors. Gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes with the Masterclass app available on your phone, computer, tablet, smart TV, and there's even an audio mode so you can listen on the go. Get unlimited access to every class, and right now, as a happy hour listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. That's masterclass.com slash 9to5mac for 15% off an annual membership. One more time, masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring the show. All right, Beats Studio Pro are now official. We talked about the leak of the specs and design a few weeks ago, and now... You can order them. They're three forty nine ninety nine in the U.S. and they're they're pretty much exactly what we expected. They're the first new Beats headphones since twenty nineteen, when they launched the Solo Three, and they're the first new Beats Studio, which is like their higher end branding since twenty seventeen. But even though there's been so many years, they didn't really change the design. So it's got the same kind of all plastic 
rubber ear cup sort of foldable design, which that feel it, I've been using them for about a week, and that feels quite a bit cheaper than what Apple's doing with the AirPods Max. But they're also significantly like 120 grams lighter, and they fold up so they take up less room. And Beats is using a, a normal, like traditional charging or carrying case rather than the weird AirPods Pro situation that's go- AirPods Max situation. The bra. The bra, yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of like the design trade offs to make them light and foldable, I think they did the right thing. It's clearly a different strategy than what Apple did with AirPods Max, but I. And AirPods Max look gorgeous, but these are more practical, I think. I, the weight of AirPods Max is a real turn-off for me. I yeah. tried them on at a store, and they are so heavy. They feel heavy on your head. They feel heavy on your ears. Like they look great, and the materials, you know, like the, the aluminium and the metal, like that is. It feels nice when you hold them, but like you do have to wear them, and the weight is a big, a big roadblock. And like. If you have to go to plastic to make it significantly lighter, then I, get, I, I guess you have to take that trade off because the weight alone makes me not want, not that interested in AirPods Max mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, like even if you ignore the price and everything else about them, like they could be the best headphones in the world, but if they're too heavy, like why do I want to put them on? Because with AirPods Max, it felt like they were okay if you were sitting in one place, but if you're like walking around with the weight, you could just oh, like, yeah. feel it like dragging on your head, mm-hmm. um, which. You don't really want to do for wireless headphones. Like if they were wide only, then you know you're meant to be using them sitting down or whatever or stationary. But for wireless headphones, you're meant to be out and about and moving. And AirPods Max is so heavy, and the Beat Studio Pro are literally like forty percent lighter. Mm-hmm. It's like such a yeah. big difference, and they they're within the same weight class as like the other Beats headphones, right? Mm-hmm. So, and those feel perfectly fine on my head. Um, One thing some so, people did say is that their older Beats were, haven't held up well. So that'll be interesting to see. Like the plastic just isn't as durable as the aluminum. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see on yeah, that the, front. Um, the the worst offender for that was the Beats X. Oh they right. Would break yeah. Constantly, and they replaced them last year, the year before with Beats Flex. I think is what it's called now. Yeah. And, which were originally forty nine dollars, but then they made them twenty dollars <laughs> more expensive, which was a funny a funny diversion of its own. Um, but at least they've been out for a while now and it does seem the reliable, the durability of them is better and they don't break as yeah. much as the Beats X, which they replaced. Um, but I would say overall it's true. The Beats, um, they don't last as long as like AirPod style stuff overall. Uh, but there's plenty of people out there who do use the over-air headphones for many, many years and they're happy with them, I guess. Like, that's the thing is, it's so funny when you see on like Twitter people talking about you know when this when this came out like comparing to AirPods Max or whatever they t- most people don't realize that Beats is owned by Apple yeah. so like uh-huh. they're like oh I can't believe I just bought these Apple ones I should have <laughs> bought these Beats ones instead and stuck it to you know Tim Cook or whatever it's like um, they realize they are the same company in the yeah. day um, which I guess is like a good and a bad thing because at least they are differentiated enough that they don't feel like they're just doing the same thing that Apple's doing yeah but it does also have the downside where it's like they are part of your company why don't they have all the features that the AirPods do you know plus with a different perspective on it like and vice versa kind too. of weirdly in the middle right like, yeah they're like a weird like they are the same brand but they're also not what beats is doing here too that apple's not doing is you have three different ways of listening so you have bluetooth then you have a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack built in then it has a USB-C port for charging but also you can use the USB-C port for for playback 
and part of that is support for lossless playback at 24-bit 48 kilohertz, which is, based on my reading, I'm not a audio expert. It's pretty good. It's kind of right in the middle of what Apple calls like CD quality versus the ultra crazy high-end lossless. And the biggest thing here is no AirPods support lossless playback, not even AirPods Max. So with these, you get USB. They go the Lightning. Yeah, and with these, you get USB-C lossless play- playback for two hundred dollars less. I mean, lossless support is a bit of a scam. Like yeah. it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a brand name versus like I, 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 you. If you have really high-end audio equipment, you know, lossless versus compressed AAC, you can hear the difference, right? But you need like huge speakers, you know, super high-end headphones. I don't think you can hear the difference on you know, cans that you wear over your ears that are under $500. You know, like, I don't... I could feel like the sound, a difference. Yeah, the sound quality on Beach Studio Pro and AirPods Max, whether you listen to Lossus or not, I'm sure is identical. Or maybe AirPods Max are even slightly better because yeah. of, they have the extra chips or whatever, which provides some more, you know, like, neural com- computational audio feature stuff. Uh, that Like, that being said, it is kind of embarrassing. That is like, here's your Beats yeah. product that can support lossless, which is a feature that you push really hard for Apple Music because it's seen as a competitive advantage against Spotify, which doesn't have any hi-fi audio tier at all. And when they do offer it, they're going to charge extra for it, whereas with Apple Music, it's just included in the same price. Uh, the fact that none of the AirPods can do it at all, it, like even if in real terms, it's basically indistinguishable. And I think even if you go on like the some of the Apple websites, they're like they like say it. It's like oh, yeah. although AAC, although lossless is indistinguishable from AAC, Apple Music offers lossless up to 120 kilos. It's funny how they frame it, um, but it is still kind of silly that like this Beats product does have it and AirPods do not. The, the thing is with the USB C audio too is that if you're using USB C on the Beats Studio Pro. Active noise cancellation and transparency mode are disabled. They don't work. So for 99.99% of people, you're going to be better off not using USB-C just because those two features are going to make more of a difference than than lossless will. Did did they say why it's disabled? No, they didn't. No, And it works with the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. It just doesn't work with USB-C. Well, that is weird. Uh, but also with USB-C too, they're doing, they have like three different, like I think they're calling them sound profiles. So there's the Beats signature profile, the entertainment profile, and the conversation profile. So that's like any genre of music, then movies or games, then podcasts or audiobooks or calls. I I'm guessing it's some sort of limitation maybe with the processor where they can't do all of that and also do ANC or transparency mode. But again, those two things are more important for most people. So they're going to be better off with Bluetooth or the headphone jack. Yeah, I think 3.5 is like the thing people want because like that gives you compatibility with... I guess, I obviously this isn't strictly true, but like in a high level, 3.5 millimeter gives you compatibility with old stuff mm-hmm. and then new stuff supports bluetooth so like you don't need to plug it in uh which is kind of the situation i'd be in right because like right now i'm using a three and a half millimeter headphone jack to talk to you in with earbuds mm-hmm. if you have airpods max the only way you can get the three and a half millimeter to work is using that stupid dongle which is you know more money and it's inelegant whereas with beach studio Pro, you can just plug them straight in mm-hmm. so 
that is a pretty big win, I, I, I would say. And then USB-C is nice for the fact that you can charge it with yes. a charging port, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously the iPhone is going to switch to at the end of the year too. So it's another reason why you might want to buy like AirPods Max right now because you're going to get the old charging port, the old star charging port. And AirPods Max is still the same price they were when they came out, even though they're now outdated in many different regards. Uh, Beat Studio Pro also have four extra hours of battery life, so 24 hours versus 20 hours. They have a whole bunch of different buttons and button combinations you can press for switching listening modes, controlling the volume, playing, pausing, all of that. It's similar to what you get with the digital crown and button on AirPods Max, but there's a little bit more to it just because Beats offers those different listening modes. Uh, The biggest thing in Apple's favor, though, is Beats is not using one of Apple's chips. So they're using what they're calling a Generation 2 Beats platform chip. And this replicates almost everything from AirPods Max, including full spatial audio support, which is so head tracking and personalized spatial audio. But the two things you're missing are the auto stop thing, where you take the headphones off and the music automatically pauses every time and it pauses all notifications so like on my mac if i take my airpods max off it they disconnect from the mac and the notification sounds go back to playing through whatever other sound device is connected but on beats that's not the case so the audio that you're listening to and all of your notification sounds keep going to the beats until you manually power them off or disconnect them or whatever yeah that's annoying because i mean Auto-pause is literally a feature the first AirPods had yeah, in 2017. And, and like, a bunch sorry, of non-AirPods headphones, a bunch of non-AirPods headphones have that. It's not it's not something that's necessarily exclusive to Apple's W or H2 or whatever it is. It's Yeah, you don't need Apple Silicon yeah. to have a sensor for auto-pausing. Yeah, exactly. Then you also yeah, don't so have... That is, a, that is a big negative. Yeah, that's the biggest negative. The other li- only limitation, really, by not using the Apple chip is no automatic device switching which for me that's more of a feature than a bug because i disable that on all of my devices but for some people maybe who have fewer number of apple devices than people like us i can see why they like that feature and apple even said like at wwc this year they're making it better than ever right like auto device switching supposedly better on across the plat ios mac os and whatever i feel like they've said that multiple times in the past i know they've said it multiple times (laughs) but they still believe in it so yeah Sometime, I guess we'll have to try it again. But yeah, I turn it off too because it's just annoying. But I think if you just have like a laptop on a phone, mm-hmm. people get along with it yeah. and they actually benefit from it. The other thing I guess would be a, f- a question mark. I presume that the features they announced for AirPods Pro 2 yeah. this year, the you know like the, the adaptive audio stuff, mm-hmm. that's, that wouldn't come to beats either, even though it's got ANC and transparency. I don't think uh, so, yeah. Yeah, like the new stuff is going to be AirPods Pro to exclusive, yeah. which I guess is also a negative for AirPods. Yeah, Max exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think like that's like the big takeaway that I had trying these is at least right now with what AirPods Max are as a product. I mean, it's they're impossible to recommend. They were already really hard to recommend, but now that you have these Beats Studio Pro that have their own set of advantages over AirPods Max with a couple of drawbacks, with a two hundred dollar price difference. I don't think anybody anybody should go out and buy AirPods Max. And hopefully, I don't I mean, we don't really know, but hopefully there's a second generation AirPods Max coming. But for right now, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. 
for right now though it doesn't seem like they've been cancelled but like it doesn't seem like there's a new generation coming anytime soon either i think ming chi kuo said like end of 2024 or something which is just a ridiculous amount of time between gen 1 and gen 2 especially if they don't drop the price which you know they won't yeah (laughs) until until that time comes around (laughs) yeah i I mean i didn't buy apples max so i guess i never recommended them really but like i would never buy them even if i was interested in them i'd never yeah. buy them right now i mean the it's Be- way too late in the cycle the beats studio pro are like the best headphones you can buy from apple and it's technically beats but that's technically apple that's how that works and and beats are even more prone to getting discounted right compared to like airpods straight so by christmas these it could be like 299 easily. to 79 or whatever yeah. like very compelling offerings and airpods max at third party retailers you know you might get them for like 450 if you're lucky uh or 4.99 or whatever that's still like you know 150 dollars or more than what you get beat studio Perry for i think too even though beats is owned by apple there's a level of of competition between them if you look at like the earbuds space beats has so many different options at so many different price points and different designs it's like apple has to look at what beats is doing and know okay, this is how much we're going to price AirPods Pro 2 at. And here's why people might want to pay the extra $50 over what they can get Beats Fit Pro for. But in the headphone side of the thing, Apple never had that level of internal competition. Like they've kind of just been on autopilot since before AirPods Max and now since AirPods Max. So the past three and a half years, basically. So the question is whether they have something coming to rival Beat Studio Pro, or if they care, or if they're just happy seeding this market to Beats because it's too small of a market, or they'd rather focus on AirPods Pro or whatever. But the fact that Beats now offers something that in most ways is better than AirPods Max, I think it's got to prompt Apple to do something. It's a weird, like, dichotomy. Yeah. Apple doesn't really put itself in these kind of positions where they're like fighting against their own Mm -hmm. and this is a very big very big exception where like beats and apple when they first you know when they first got acquired or whatever it was all happy happy chappies and they did airpods and they announced at the same time a beats lineup featuring the exact same chip the w1 chip at the time Mm -hmm. and then wasn't the first apple the first product with an apple chip actually technically a beats product yeah, because AirPods were delayed. Yeah. Right? Like, I think it was meant to be AirPods, but they were delayed by a couple of months. So, like, I think Beat Solo 3 was the first um, to come out. Solo 3s were... Or, yeah, you might be right. I, I can't keep the naming straight, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Solo 3. Yeah, Solo 3, 2016. Yeah, because yeah. uh, that's also when they announced the Beats X, but the Beats X didn't ship for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, at that time, it was like, well, Apple's giving everybody the same chip, everybody the same internals. You know, they're, like, cross-pollinating their technology... And you're just going to get different form factors with, you know, Beats will do color options and plastic and Apple will do slightly more premium materials, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I feel like with around the launch of AirPods Pro, they started to make them more separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not like they've like given up on Beats because obviously they have quite a lot of resources to make products oh, yeah. and they keep expanding their product lines in many different ways. But the symbiotic nature of the companies feels 
more split apart. Like it's more like you, we, you know, beats. You go and do a few your things over here. We'll let you get on with it. But we're going to keep the crown jewels. You know, like the cutting edge stuff for us for ourselves. These new features, they're AirPods only. You know, like we're not going to. You know, you're not allowed to use the H2 chip or the H1 chip anymore. Like it just feels kind of wrong and. It doesn't feel efficient, you know, which is un- which is weird for Apple because they're normally super good at that kind of stuff. I mean, based on my interpretation of like that dichotomy, Beats and Apple are pretty much wholly separate. Like Beats still has its own engineering team. It's based, I think, mostly in LA where Apple's most AirPods engineers are in at in Cupertino. Beats still has its own in-house PR team. And uh, my interpretation is that for the most part, they're separate. But something I've heard is that around the time that AirPods Pro 2 were about to be announced and released, that would have been the September event last year, I think, Apple kind of stepped in and told Beats to pause its release of a product that it was also working on that was going to come out around the same time as AirPods Pro 2, and at least in Apple, Apple's eyes could impact impact airpods to release because these beats headphones were going to offer similar features at a better price point and in colors and basically all of that in comparison to what airpods pro 2 had led apple to tell beats to hold off which i mean that's what happens when apple owns you but for two companies that largely operate separately it's a threat that apple's always going to step in it just doesn't feel like the company should work like that you know like they should be working together in collaboration, not against each other. Like They're owned by the same people. They should be on the same side, but they feel in opposition in quite a lot of ways, which is, which is weird. I would love to know more about what goes on and whether it's Apple stepping in and stopping them from using like the H2 chip and all of that. But to Beats' credit, even without really any support from Apple, they're making great stuff and it's good to have these as an option compared to just AirPods. Happy Hour This Week is also sponsored by ZocDoc. Download the app for free at ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. You know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet? After spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews, you find that perfect tool for the job. I just did this actually to find a new lawnmower and it's amazing. Five-star reviews, got it shipped in 48 hours. It's glorious. But... How come you can find the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in two days, but if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment? And how do you know if they're even good in the first place? Thankfully, there is a way. It's called ZocDoc. Find and book great doctors who are actually ha- who are actually available with amazing reviews, many with appointments within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter for the ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And just like my new lawnmower, the average wait to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I if I had needed this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show.
So Bloomberg is reporting that Apple is developing some sort of internal large language model artificial intelligence technology that Bloomberg says will be the foundation of an internal chat GPT style tool. So this is seemingly Apple's competitor to things like ChatGPT, Google Bard, and Bing. But the key difference here apparently is that Apple has no current plans to release a chatbot to consumers. And actually part of what they're doing right now is that any outputs from what's internally they're calling Apple GPT can't be used for features bound for customers. So it's very much a siphoned off separate internal platform just for employees. And if you remember... Yeah, it's a prototype. It's a it's, yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you remember the, too, Apple blocks its employees from using things like chat GPT over privacy concerns. So this is kind of, I guess, Apple's way of giving employees something to use while also making sure their stuff doesn't leak because some engineer goes to chat GPT and types give me a paragraph description of iOS 17 with these features. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is their way of stopping that. And it's a pair. It makes sense. Yeah. And uh, Bl- uh, Bloomberg even says that some employees are using the Apple GPT tool to assist with product prototyping. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that someone's finding use for it. Like, But the point of this project is not to make a chat GPT alternative just no. an Apple brand on it. It's, it's a generative AI research department, right? Because, like... Those the the transformer models, the generative AI systems, those neural networks, that machine learning class, that will power so much stuff in the future in different ways that are not just like here's a text box and you talk to it and you get an answer. Like some of that technology will eventually be rolled into Siri, I'm sure. But like generative AI is just a thing that will be used in all sorts of places. You know, like this it's already kind of used in, in a small way for autocorrect, as we talked about many times. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they can use it in like you know, photo generation, backgrounds, wallpapers, like, you know, Microsoft's using it to help people write Word documents. Like, there's no reason why pages can can support that kind of stuff in the future as well. Or, like, email replies, like, automation, HomeKit automation, smarter, like, automations for controlling your smart home, right? Like, all of these things, they come out of generative AI technologies. So, like, Apple researching work on this, I only see as a positive sign. I don't expect them to mm-hmm. come out with a a chatbot like that's just not what they're doing but they can test against the chatbot they can get some ideas about where they stand in terms of the state of the art of their you know transform models and their technology and i believe the bloomberg article says apple's kind of ramping up to have like a significant ai centric announcement next right. year so maybe they can start saying well now parts of syria powered by blah blah, blah 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 and you know we're doing this this and this in this way like that's what it's for the internal chatbot is just like a prototype some engineers made that are part of the you know, generative AI group, as it were. And the report also says that Apple kind of conducted a corporate trial of open AI technology and considered signing a, like a, a corporate larger contract with them. But apparently they decided instead to do it themselves, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. But I just don't know what exactly this significant AI related announcement for next year is going to be. The Bloomberg report says as much that Apple was kind of caught flat-footed by things like ChatGPT this year. So do they think they're going to be able to turn something around? 
for a significant to, like, announcement next year. Give some Siri, like, give some more Siri intelligence in places. Like, Apple's a conservative company. They'll take this slowly. But, like, you can imagine, like, Spotify's doing this for, um, what's it called? Is it called Spotify DJ? Yeah. They're doing, like, uh-huh. AI-powered DJ playlists. DJ or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you could roll that into music. You could imagine talking to music, doing music requests on Siri could be more empowered by... AI backing rather than just like taking you to set playlist they can make it based on what you're asking for more specifically like I think there's plenty of things they can do there and a significant announcement in that area could just be that like you know we've improved Siri in this way this way and this way thanks to our blah 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 you know like I don't think it means they're going to come out with some like crazy thing in the next year um Bloomberg has also discussed that Apple's work on this like mental health coaching service that will also rely on you know AI to like personalize the plans and stuff you can use um and obviously you know, Apple autonomous driving for the future electric car is obviously like an AI-based thing. But, you know, you talk to Apple, they'll tell you five different ways that AI is used today in their phones. It's just using older AI technologies, um, which are, you know, fit for purpose and they do what they do. But clearly, this generative AI stuff has so much potential that it would be bad news if they weren't working on it. And yeah, yeah maybe, they did caught, maybe they did get caught slightly flat-footed in terms of timeline. But if they're working on it this year, I think they're going to be okay. Like, because... For all you know, all the hype of GPT, uh, of ChatGPT, and everything like that, it's still at the point where it's not fully baked. Like, well, right, yeah, you can use it in places. It's useful. I'm not saying it's like a gimmick or stupid. It's like useful, but like you can't just give it to anybody and then they can like everything. It, everything it says, you have to double check is true. For instance, right? Like it's <laughs> a, it, it's still in early innings of this stuff. Um, but I think there's clearly a, a future where it's super relevant. So, you know, let's say they're a year behind, two years behind. In five years' time, it'll, it'll, it will equalize out and, and they'll be competitive um, when it actually matters to customers. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Apple makes a significant AI announcement every year in one form or another. But I guess the difference is how this generative large language model stuff can, I guess, do more than what they're currently doing with AI. But part of it, too, is Apple's not going to say AI, most likely. They very much shy away from that word. They shy away from, well, like with the Vision Pro, they didn't say headset. Apple's very picky and choosy with what words they use. So even whatever... They say a lot machine learning. Yeah, machine learning is what they use to, like, autocorrect in iOS 17 is machine learning. All of the health features on Apple Watch, that's machine learning. It doesn't seem like Apple's going to come out next year and say... Hey, you heard about this great thing called AI? Well, now here's how we're using it. Like, no, they're gonna yeah, they'll just say here's this new feature. Exactly. This, this, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that funny uh, in the run up to the headset announcement. The information of that story was like Apple wanted it, so users could make their own like 3D worlds with oh, Siri, yeah. and they just asked for it, and it would like make an app, and it everyone was like laughing about it. It's like that's never gonna happen. But you know, fast forward a year, and you have like generative eye technologies that. Yeah, in some rudimentary ways, can make apps just by you asking for it, and they produce code that does actually work. So, you know, times change quick in, the, in this in this space. Then Bloomberg, Mark Gurman, in his Power On newsletter last weekend, says that the first M3 Macs are expected this fall. So that'll start with a next generation 24 inch iMac, 13 inch MacBook Air, so not 15 inch. And the entry-level 13-inch MacBook Pro, so the one with the touch bar. This pretty much lines up with what I expected, and it sounds boring, 
but it's what Apple did with the M1 and the M2. Start with the MacBook Air and that 13-inch MacBook Pro, and then we move on from there. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like, you know, fall or early 24, basically yeah. in that range, right, is where the first M3s were coming out. He says October, out. which would he says October, imply another yeah. event. So September iPhone event, then October Mac an iPad event, because he also says there's a new what, iPad Air. iPad Air. Yeah. iPad Air just coming a, this just year. Just a simple spec bump, because yeah. that's on M1 at the moment, right? So they could bump that to M3 or whatever. Um, the timing of the M3 Max may seem a little awkward, given they just came out with the 15-inch MacBook Air in June. But we spoke about this before. Clearly, the 15-inch Air was meant to come out last year, right? Oh, yeah. Probably alongside the 30-inch. And it just got delayed for whatever reason. So it came out now. They pushed it out. And the fact that there's going to be a new 13-inch in a few months' time, they'll just like brush it off and just pretend like it never happened. It seems right? weird like, that they wouldn't use it as an opportunity to get them hand-in-hand hand again. But Yeah, that's a good point, to be fair. Like, why, why is the, the next 15-inch not ready sooner? I don't know. Um, it could just be they made so many M2s that they they got to sell through those before they can upgrade yeah. to M3. <laughs> yeah, or maybe they like pause development of the 15-inch M3 just to make sure they can get yeah. the M2 shipped because clearly it was very severely delayed due to some weird supply situation uh in the scheme of things it doesn't matter like we no. you know people in the community analyze the timelines like crazy and it is true that in general you know at a high level apple sticks to very r- robust patterns of when stuff comes out but supply chain production problems hit and stuff slips around a bit uh, that's like the entire story of when they relied on intel there were yeah mismatched yeah, yeah, yeah. macs across the board yeah, if you're a general consumer, you walk into the store, you buy what's there. And the fact that a new one came out three months ago doesn't really factor into your head that often. It's just not what happens. Um, if you're you know, in the know, as we are, you might think, well, okay, I'm not going to buy the 15-inch because I know a 30-inch M3 is coming out. Well, you can do that if you want to. The The amount of decision-making that is based on those kind of factors is like you know, trivial percentage points of Apple's overall revenue. So it's not something they can really like bother about too much it just it's just a fact of life i would argue the vast majority of people are basing their purchases on screen size before anything else anyway so even if the m the 13 inches m3 and the 15 inches still m2 people are going to think oh bigger bigger is better let's buy the 15 inch and and that's fine and that's fine the 15 inch is a great computer then german also says too that the m3 ipad pro is still on track for next year and that this will be OLED. So right now the 12.9 inch uses mini LED, but with this M3 revision, they'll both move to OLED. And I think he said before there might be some sort of like minor redesign, which would be the first time. This is supposedly the one that has like wireless charging of some form. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point it was going to have like a glass back, but oh, right. I've like yeah. tamed, tamed that back a bit. Um, I'm excited for it. It's been a, like the iPad Pro could do with a slight design update. Like it's a pretty good design, but it is you know five years old at this point. Yeah, which and OLED is nice. Like the Mini LED on the laptop seems better than the Mini LED on the iPad for whatever reason. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, the iPad Pro one is super glary and like you can see the halo effect of of the backlighting system. Uh, it's much better on the laptops. So I don't really know why. Uh, but if they're moving to OLED, that whole problem will go away because you know Mini LED is based on having. X number of thousand zones of backlight, whereas OLED is individually lit pixels. So only the pixels that need to be lit up are, which is how the phone works, how the Apple Watch works. Um, 
and that's coming to the iPad Pro and supposedly future laptops too. Like 2025, it's going to start coming to the MacBook Pro, for instance. Ming-Chi Kuo says it could come to the air next year, which seems highly ambitious, but that would be nice. A 15-inch MacBook Air with OLED? I would buy that. That would be, that would be compelling. Yeah. But it does seem a bit early. And what one thing German has nothing on is the iPad Mini. And I'm sad because I like the iPad Mini, but <laughs> it doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be anything Apple's too focused on right now. Because what it still it has the super high priority. A, is it 14 inside, I think? So A15, maybe? Either way, it's not... Yeah. Yeah, A15 Bionic, so... It's not, it's not dated, it's not slow, but... I would love to see an iPad Mini with ProMotion. That's the biggest drawback right now, is the screen is kind of crummy. But I don't think we'll ever get that. Yeah, well, the promotion is one of those things where, like, it's cheap enough now they could put it on the lower-end machines, but they, they don't. Well, they, <laughs> you know, yeah. like... It's not like there's still, a higher-end... It's end. still iPad Pro only. It's still yeah. iPhone 14 Pro. You know, it's still Pro iPhone only. It's MacBook Pro only. iPad Mini um, Pro. Yeah, maybe, like, maybe eventually, but, like, I just don't think the iPad Mini no. sells in high enough volume for them to bother about it. Not at all. Um, yeah. The iPad Air is clearly more popular than iPad Mini and they skipped M2 on that for instance yeah so I think what happens with the iPads you have a lot of people buy the cheap one right and then you have a lot of people buy the iPad Pros and the stuff in the middle not so much so it just gets less it's just less important to them then finally this week there's some drama in Hollywood so the actors (laughs) are now on strike is that right Mayo what exactly is happening here because the director's and writers, the writers are still on strike. Yeah, the directors were on strike, but they reached a deal. But now the, the directors, actors, directors didn't go on strike. They made a deal. Okay, they were they did. threatening to go on strike, but okay. they didn't. Right, so they made a deal. Writers have been on strike since May. Uh, actors have now been on strike for about five days. Uh, so now the actors and the writers are on strike together. Did we talk about um, how at the- WWDC there was uh, writers like? Hollywood writers handing out pamphlets saying Apple pay your writers. Yeah, I think we did mention that actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they like picketed they the were Apple pit- store. Yeah, exactly. The visitors. <laughs> yeah, You'd walk right. out from the event and there they were. Yeah. So the actors and writers haven't been on strike together since the 1960s. So this doesn't happen Ooh. very often. Uh, generally, people make deals. Uh, but they're at kind of an inflection point. They need, They want significant changes to their contracts to reflect the streaming business as it is today because they say they're not getting enough money given the success of streaming um, and there's you know like shows that used to go for 20 episodes now and you go for eight so if you're a writer you're getting just paid for less episodes because the, the orders are just so much smaller so there's a load of issues there but uh, and i'm not discounting it but the relevance to the show today is the impact on the streaming service right that apple runs which is tv plus because when you don't have writers working uh, apple could continue production on some stuff that already had scripts finished and if they needed changes like on site, then I guess they'd kind of just get along with it and just kind of hope they didn't need big rewrites um, and just get stuff done. But if you have actors on strike as well, you're basically not producing anything, at least domestically, right? So any production that involves US actors that are under the Screen Actors Guild um, can no longer happen. So production in LA, New York, you know, Vancouver has basically ground to a complete halt 
from any work from the big studios, including Apple, which impacts on the production pipeline, which ultimately means Apple has to make choices about what they release and slow stuff down. And I think you can already see that. If you look at their schedule, uh, it's definitely starting to slow down because they have a bank of stuff finished, but now they've got nothing in production for the, you know, they've had little in production for the last three months when the writers are on strike, and now they've got nothing on production for as long as the actor strike goes on for. Uh, that means that they have to space out what they have got in the bank so that, come next March, they actually have stuff to keep releasing, right? Um, it's problematic. Hopefully it gets resolved because the other problem with the actor strike is that it impacts the ability for Apple to promote its shows as well because as well as making product, as well as making the actual content, they're not allowed to promote it either. So, for instance, Emmy campaigns are all ground to a halt. So, you know, Apple got like 50 Emmy nominations last week. Uh, none of those actors are able to go to the, you know, screenings and, and events that Apple sets up to kind of promote the shows to get the votes, to win the awards. Uh, They've got massive films coming out in the year with their big theatrical releases. I'm sure they wanted to do big press events for those. Uh, Not going to be allowed to do it for as long as the actor strike continues on. You've seen them try and mitigate it slightly. So they've, I think in like June, they got all of their like cast from like Ted Lasso and other shows to like record a load of video that that they've slowly been spalling out on social media because you can kind of see it's all recorded in the same place with like a multicolored rainbow background so that's kind of what they're using in substitute of having you know actual screenings and events for people because the thing with the emmys is a lot of votes come by like smoozing at parties and stuff is just what happens so you know apple apple's done that in previous years but now they can't do that because none of the industry can um it's a bit you know it's a it's a big problem for them uh, over the longer term because they don't have massive international reach right their just their content production outside of the u.s is still quite small like Netflix is probably in the best position to weather the storm of a longer strike because they can rely more on unscripted stuff and international production from Korea and UK and other countries because, you know, Netflix is huge. The other streamers, including Apple, just don't have that to fall back on. And Apple doesn't even have a catalogue, you know, a back catalogue library, right? So they're only originals and right now they're not making any. So it is problematic and as of right now, there's no end in sight. It's very unclear when this is going to be resolved many pundits don't think it'll be resolved until october even so many 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 months of nothing being made which um it puts a span in it works for them they might buy some more content from overseas from some from some places they'll probably do some more unscripted stuff like um non-fiction content right like uh you know documentaries and stuff because that's separate to the side contracts and things but you know, raw non raw fiction content, which is like the biggest stuff on streaming. Uh, nothing's being made at the moment. That obviously impacts on the Apple service. So they could go out and buy like a back catalog of something, right? And use that to kind of fill the gap to at least have something to promote. Like they could, but what are they going to buy? Yeah. That's the problem. Like they have enough money. At this they point, they've anything. kind of been against the buying a back catalog. And well, so yeah, it's all been but... bought by other people. Like it's all under licenses to other people. This is like the worst possible timing for them, though, with the two, with what is it, Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon, like their two biggest Mm -hmm. pushes ever, and it could very well, they could not be able to do any sort of promo. Yeah, that is a big, that is a big risk. I think they're kind of hoping, because those films come out in October and November, Mm -hmm. so I think they're kind of hoping it will be over by then, Uh, but unless, unless the studios collectively come to a deal, it's not going to happen, right? Right. and the SAG and WGA have all said they are very far apart from what the studios were offering in terms of a new contract. 
and the WGA hasn't even been negotiating. They haven't been talking to the studios since they went oh, to strike really? in May. No. So literally no progress whatsoever has happened there. Um, that seems I think, bad. Yeah, well, I think the, the studio position was they were going to like make a deal with the directors, make a deal with SAG, and then basically just like force the writers to take whatever deal, you know, the equivalent deals from those unions. Uh, but SAG went on strike as well, so that kind of backfired a bit. So now we're in a bit of a bit of a quagmire with no clear resolution. We're just going to have like a summer of Hollywood strikes, I guess, <laughs> and uh, threatening to what Apple will be able to release, let's say, the first half of 2024. Part of this isn't one of the big problems, the like residuals for older, like say something like The Office, like residuals being paid to the actors and actresses from streaming income from it, The it's Office more about today. New content. It's more yeah, about new content. Like, yeah, because like The Office gets syndicated on cable networks. Right? Oh, um, right. Okay. So they still get a lot of money from it. Um, and obviously, if you're a huge actor, you're getting paid a lot up front anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're like one of the top 100 name, named actors, um, so basically the first person on the call sheet, almost all these streaming series are paying you a million dollars an episode because that's just the going rate these days. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know, everyone loves more money, so I'm sure they'd love it if they could get Friendstar residuals as well. But mm-hmm. you know, they're not going hungry on a million dollars an episode. It's the second tier actors that are getting like... You know, ten thousand dollars an episode. You live in Los Angeles. If you're yeah. recording for ten, if you're if you're doing an eight episode show, you know you're getting eighty grand. But you you know it's, it's expensive to live in LA, right? So it, and before you would be getting tens of thousands of dollars in residuals from like if you're doing the same show on a network back ten years ago, whenever it was syndicated, you get paid money. On streaming, that doesn't apply. So at the moment, like let's say and you know the most popular show on Netflix. Uh, streaming show right let's say streaming original the residuals for that are the same as the least popular show and the residuals aren't very much so what the what 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 the actors and writers want now is basically like a success-based residual where if your show is really popular you get paid a bit more which is what syndication Um, was for yeah which is what syndication was uh, the studios don't want that, partly because it would cost them more money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they would have to release more concrete numbers, and they're pretty private on streaming about what actually does well or how many people watch stuff, right? So that's kind of where they, they hit a disconnect. And there's other issues in like terms of minimum minimum scale payments are, you know, the actors want 10% rises and the studios are often like 4% or whatever. So like there's those problems. And there's other issues that are like just in terms of the work environment and writers' rooms and like it's a complicated process. But the the big things are like the streaming situation where the the amount of money that actors and writers get from streaming shows is just way less than what they got from network shows a decade ago. And now streaming's very clearly taking over. Uh, the actors are feeling the pinch in in many ways and writers too. Um, so that's where these strikes are, that's where these strikes originate from and it's not very clear like who's going to crack first to be honest like the studios have a lot of money they can survive probably for a quite a long while uh, maybe actors and writers not so much you know they, they have to pay their bills and pay their rent and stuff so like everyone's just kind of hoping I think that someone's going to see sense at some point and make come to some sort of agreement but it's very unclear because the studios really don't want to give up like streaming revenue um or or streaming stats right like all these streaming services apart from netflix are not profitable at the moment so although they have you know they're taking a lot of revenue profitability not so much right so any additional money they really don't want to spend it 
Uh, so we have strikes where nothing's being made. Um, and Apple's like directly involved with this as being a studio, right? And then yeah, also the like indirectly with something like what? Like Ted Lasso isn't from Apple Studio, but it goes on Apple TV Plus. So yeah, and and more and more of the content that you get from TV Plus is from the Apple Studio, right? right? Like Ted Lasso was one of the early ones, so it was bought. It was you know licensed from Warner Brothers, whatever. But like. Uh, all the you know any studio you can name is part of the AMPTP, which is the basically the guild that represents the studios and Apple's part. Oh, of okay, I see. So, so Apple can't just go dunk a pile of money in somebody's house and. Well, the way the last strike got resolved is through what they call side deals, where like a couple of the studios ah. basically got fed up of doing nothing, and they would basically agree terms with SAG that got stuff working and then the other studios fell in line that seems exactly like what apple's gonna do we'll see we'll see if that was true i mean they they could have done that with the wj three months ago and they didn't right so like uh i think they care about the money just as much as anybody else like tv plus is not profitable for them either so um i think it's a problem and they don't want to be like too out of line because ultimately if you are if you are working as a guild under the amptp that's what gets you the best deal because you're, you know, bargaining collectively against everybody else. So doing side deals kind of like undermines your own position. So you really have to be desperate to go and do that. Um, but, you know, obviously the, the writers and the actors kind of hoping that's what's going to happen because that will kind of break the juncture. Uh, but right now, everything's just at a standstill. Nobody's talking to anybody. And, you know, actors and writers are out on picket lines in Hollywood every single day. Well, if you keep disagreeing with me on CarPlay, I'm going to go on strike, so... And you'll have that to deal with, too. Anyway, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, review, and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can send us feedback, happy hour at 9to5mac.com, or you can find us on all the great social media platforms. I am on Threads, Instagram, Mastodon, and Twitter, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you? Basically the same, at BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.